Okay, so tonight we're uh, looking at session four. We're going to be looking at Isaac. He's a character that isn't talked about much in Scripture. Um, or not in Scripture, but in, um, oh, in church, whether from preaching or teaching. We really don't talk about Isaac. We talk about him to get to Jacob. We, you know, we, we go from Abraham, which we had so much on, as we talked about last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago. We took off for Thanksgiving. But, we, you know, Abraham, there's tons of stuff there. And Isaac is kind of just one of those in-between characters. But we need to understand Isaac. Uh, being one of the patriarchs, he's an important character. He's a character that God chose um, and the like. And so we, we, we need to examine Isaac as an individual because he has things to teach us. <laughs> it's just one of those nights, isn't it? All right, so here we go. We'll start off with some just informational and understand the views of Isaac. Um, biblically, he shows up 129 times in Scripture, which is far less than Abraham, um, but it's still substantial. We will find Isaac referred to in the Old Testament in books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Psalms, Jeremiah, Amos. All of those talk about him, but it's usually as reference in genealogies. Um, sons of and that sort of thing. Um, we'll see later on, though, that he is an important character in history uh, for Israel, as he dug most of the wells that are going to be used uh, in Judah, uh, which is, allows them to build their wealth. Okay. We find that the New Testament also refers to Isaac in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, and James. In the New Testament, beyond the Gospels, which referred to him in, in the um, chron uh, chronology. Uh, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, and James refer to him in terms of his faith and his belief uh, in those sorts of things. It is interesting to note that as Abraham, the Quran has 15 references to Isaac. Um, they... Uh, consider him one of the early prophets. The Quran explicitly says that he is to be honored as the second son of Abraham, which you would think is weird because they don't, uh, they consider themselves to be, uh, the Arabs, to be the descendant of Abraham, the chosen one. Um, but they do recognize Isaac. Uh, they, they believe that Ishmael was the one that the blessing and everything was passed to. Uh, which we know not to be true. Uh, also from the ancient world, the rabbinical um, teachings, the, the rabbis of old, they had several traditions dealing with um, Isaac. 
Um, the rabbinical tradition puts Isaac at 37 years of age when Abraham took him to sacrifice. I know that we, which most of us in evangelical circles remember the story of this young boy and Abraham dragging him off. But according to the rabbinic teaching, he was 37 years old. Um, it's actually considered part of the tradition uh, that this is what caused his mother, Rebecca, to die, that she knew that Abraham was taking him off to sacrifice. And this was the, what caused her death and why Isaac was so upset over his mother's death. Anyway, um, it is held that the whole afternoon prayer in, in Judaism, um, you, you prayed three times a day. In Islam, they pray seven times a day. But in Judaism, you, there was morning prayers and then there were evening prayers. And according to tradition, Isaac is the one who instituted the afternoon prayer in Judaism. This tradition is based on Genesis chapter 24, um, verse 63, where Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, which is like three o'clock, something like that. Um, and so they, 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 they give that to him, that he was a man of prayer and that uh, he would pray in the afternoon. He would go out to meditate. Um, Isaac is also the only patriarch who stayed in Canaan his whole life. Uh, and the only time he tried to leave, God told him not to. So he never left the land. He stayed in, in the land. Um, rabbinic tradition gave us the explanation that Isaac was almost sacrificed and anything dedicated as a sacrifice may not leave the land of Israel. So it's kind of one of those rabbinic laws that if it's offered, it can't leave. So... Uh, which is, an, I guess it's part of that tradition as well. That's going to hold it. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Isaac was the oldest of the biblical patriarchs at the time of his death. He outlived his father. Um, let's see. And he's the only one whose name was not changed. I think that's interesting. Um, God didn't change anything. Uh, we're going to see as we, as we look at the passages tonight. Uh, Isaac had very little interaction with God in and of himself. We know that Abraham, his name was Abram. Sarah's was Sarai. Uh, they were changed by God later on. The same with Jacob. His name gets changed from Jacob to Israel um, and the like. Uh, let's see. This one's just more of interest. Uh, I don't know that there's any truth to it, but rabbinic literature also links Isaac's blindness in old age, as stated in the Bible, to the sacrificial binding, that Isaac's eyes went blind because the tears of the angel present at the time of his sacrifice fell on Isaac's eyes. So a little uh, mysticism there from the... Uh, rabbinic Jews. Um, I don't know that there's any truth to that whatsoever, uh, but that's what they, they, that's what they believe. So there's, there's a strong rabbinic tradition surrounding uh, Isaac as we look at him. 
The, the idea that he was 37 when he was offered would uh, definitely alter our view, I think, of the whole sacrifice that Abraham goes to do. I mean, it's one thing if you've got like a teenager and you go up the mountain and you go to offer him. But if you're talking a man of 37, yeah, Nathan. I just went through judges, as you know, in my uh, uh-huh. and uh, something I found very strange <clears throat> going through that. But it's relative to the time period. The, I forget the guy's name. Uh, it's in the second half of Judges, where um, it was the half-brother to uh, a gentleman who uh, basically he was the offspring of a prostitute and uh, Israel, they basically, oh, you're, you're, the, you're not getting an inheritance. Do you, do you remember? There, there are so many of those. I don't know who it is. So here's the thing. That um, he went and he was one of the judges. And he, he won the battles and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, the Israelites did not side with. Like they didn't show up on time. They were kind of like trying to get him to go fight their battle. Uh-huh. And he promised the Lord that he would sacrifice. Yes, I know who you're talking about now. The first thing that came, came out, out and it was his daughter. And it was his daughter yes. who was of age to be married. Says that she, you know, you know that mm-hmm. type of thing. So like, there was like a willfulness of like, I mean, that's the, they had that limited level of God is the way I see it. It's like, you know, God, God wouldn't have necessarily required him to actually do that. Well, yeah, it was a frivolous. If you would have maybe knew him more or talked to him more. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's... But that, that context, it just reminds me that, like, an adult, that, yeah. that there was something about that, this is more important, maybe, in, in their mindset than, you know, you know Yeah, I mean? yeah. It seems crazy to me. It does. Like, well, we, we, again, we think of him as a child, but if he's 37, then that means he was in on it. I mean, let's face it. Uh, I mean, an adult child, Abraham is 100, 100 plus. He's like 125. Uh, if Isaac didn't want to be sacrificed, Isaac wouldn't have been, sacri- you know, been offered up. But he, his, his faith, you're right, his faith in the God that his father served, um, it, it speaks volumes to it as we look at this. There is one book in the Pseudopigrapha, um, that is attributed to Isaac. It's called the Testament of Isaac. Uh, it records, it supposedly is written by Isaac and it records the death of Abraham and his burial. It records his own death uh, as it was proclaimed by Michael the archangel who showed up at Isaac's death. And Isaac makes this long speech in the book and, and Michael's like, okay, it's time to go and, and, and all this, you know, there's, there's all this hoopla in there. Um, there's a warning to by Isaac. Uh, he's right in this book. He's writing it as a warning to pre- be prepared to die. Remember God's mercy and practice mercy that we need to be ready to meet our maker, um, which, I mean, that's a really good lesson in and of itself. Um, that book, the uh, Testament of Isaac, is actually used mostly by the Coptic church and the Slavic Orthodox Church. Those are the, the two. I don't know if you're familiar with them. The Coptic Church is, we, okay, we being Westerners, 
we come from the branch of the Roman Catholic Church. The Protestant movement came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, well, yeah, all the Western churches. So whether it's Anglican, whatever, all those churches were based on the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. There's the Eastern Orthodox Church, which was the Greek. It was based in Constantinople and all that. From that, we get all the um, uh, other Orthodox churches in the East, the Slavic, the Russian. They're, They're different, but they're based on those traditions with it. The Coptic church is the Egyptian church. It was the church that was born out of Egypt. Um, there, were, there were many of the uh, early churchmen uh, that were from that region. When they would have the councils and all that, they would come up from it. The, the Coptic church is still very strong. It's through Egypt and all that. And it, gives, it gave birth to the Ethiopic the Ethiopic Church, which is the church that's out of in Africa, again they have they they have some very different um, views on things, um, and so the Coptic Church actually considers this book uh, not part of the canon, not part of the Bible, but a, a an important document um, to be read at certain times of the year um, with it. The Apocrypha? Sort of. The, the, the Coptic church is very different because there were many Jews. It was a Jewish-based church um, in Egypt because there were a lot of Jews there. Uh, I forget who it is. One of the apostles went to Egypt and brought the gospel to them, and they developed. See, unlike us, we're, we all developed out of the Roman Catholic church, for those of us here, whereas the Eastern, there's the Eastern Orthodox there's the Syriatic church as well, which was based out of um, Syria and all the way to Babylon and all that, where Peter developed a lot of that um, as he worked in the region. And it's, they're very different. They developed very differently because they had different issues um, and different leaders uh, I don't know that they're nearly as corrupt as the Roman Catholic Church ever became. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church was. Uh, it got intertangled with the, go- with the government through emperors and all that, just like the Roman Catholic Church did. And there were many wars fought between them as they both excommunicated each other and, and the like. And certainly the uh, Russian and Slavic Orthodox became an arm of the government. Um, in those churches, but the Coptic church did not. It developed all independently and really had no part with the government and dealt more with fending off the early Islamics and the Mohadim and all of those groups as they invaded across um, and the like. So it's very differently developed, just as the Syriatic church in, in the near and Middle East developed. They're... Uh, they're not. They're not evangelical. They're not. You know. They're their own thing. And so. Um, Are they? Uh, do they put their faith in the blood of Christ? Yes. Yes. But they. We have so many traditions. Like our whole tradition of Christmas, um, is actually built on Druidism. When the German tribes were conquered by Rome, uh, they were blessed and uh, baptized by the Pope. As Christians, but they had all these holidays and stuff and traditions. Like 
the whole Christmas tree comes out of the Yule log and, and all that. Well, the Eastern church doesn't have that. Neither does the Coptic church and the Syriatic church. All these things that we think of as part of Christianity never developed in those churches. Um, they have other holidays um, that they recognize uh, with it and stuff. It, it's an interesting study uh, to do church history. Uh, I had a gentleman who had a master's degree in church history in our church in Korea, and he absolutely loved teaching church history. He was as boring and dry as he could possibly be. I'll love him to death. Uh, but his it was so, so boring. But we still would have people that would show up for his class on a Wednesday night just like this, and he would have 15, 20 people showing up just to listen to him drone on in church history because it is so interesting. We don't think about the rest of the world developing differently than we do as evangelicals. I mean, we think we're all right and everything like that. And theologically we are, but practice is very different in other places um, as you deal with it. And it's, uh, it's an interesting study. Anyway, back to where we were at here. The Testament of Isaiah, Isaiah yeah, Isaac, bleh, uh, again, used mostly by the Coptic church um, and the like. So let's take apart Isaac's life as we uh, begin. Um, we've looked at him as a child as we dealt with Abraham. So moving on into his adult life, uh, looking at his righteous thing, his convictions, his moral choices, his servant spirit, his leadership style and all that. As we look at Isaac, we must remember that uh, he's the head of a family that is really a large corporation. Um, he has thousands of people that work for him. Huge herds of animals um, and the like. And so he, he has an entire industry. They live in tents. They move from place to place and all that. As we look at this, we'll look at Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 28 to, to get a feel for uh, who he is. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to the inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When the days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. As we're looking at Isaac, we see he... Um, is a man of prayer. We, we, we understand this. His wife was barren. This is not an uh, unusual issue. Uh, 
instead of taking, and I, this goes back to Abraham as we were looking at him. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren, but he didn't put her off. And so here we are with Isaac now. His wife's not having children, which, I mean, that was the whole point of having a wife was to have children and all that. That's why many of them had multiple wives in order to have lots of children. The size of family um, was important. I mean, the, you know, the rate the, um, of child deaths and all that was high. Uh, certainly conflicts killed off people quite often. So having a large family was a bonus. But we see here, Isaac does not take a second wife, a concubine, or anything, which is interesting because it goes back to Noah. We're, we're not exactly sure of all that was going on in Noah's day, but we know that they were taking as many wives as they wanted to, and this was part of what angered God. And we see that Noah only had one wife. Uh, there's a, a uh, trend, I think, that we see here in these patriarchs is a one-wife thing. I don't know that we can make a, a hard and fast rule for it because we'll see later on. Uh, next week as we get to Jacob, that that doesn't hold true, but um, it is the going thing here with Isaac. Wife can't conceive, doesn't put her off, doesn't send her away. He goes to the Lord. I think that's a strong conviction. I think he learned it from his father. I think that uh, it, this was important, um, as we said, from Noah. Uh, this whole issue with it. And so he prays, God blesses him. And uh, then we see his wife, she's got an issue. She's pregnant. It's not going well. I can only imagine. I've never bore a child. <laughs> uh, but I have witnessed three being born. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a trying thing. And here she is with twins, with no modern medicine, where does she go? She turns to the Lord, follows her husband's example. And I mean, that's, that says something of the man's character as we understand. Isaac believes in God. He was there. He was being sacrificed. God saved him. Um, he was part of that. I think it changed him as a man and gave him an insight that we see in God uh, with it. Comment, question. No. All right. Move on to another passage to look here. Genesis chapter 26, 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerir, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you for, for to you and to your offspring. I will give all of these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to you, to your offspring, all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Greer. So here we have God coming. There's a problem in the land. There's a famine. 
we as modern people, we think of famines in faraway places like Ethiopia. Uh, I don't know the last time we suffered a famine in the United States. But it is a serious issue for there not to be enough food. I think of the potato famine in Ireland that brought so many Irish to America because there was a lack of potatoes, a lack of food, the basic substance. For Isaac, it's serious. He's got to make decisions for not just his family, but his family, the the whole business, these thousands of people that work for him and the thousands of sheep and goats and cattle and flocks. Uh, He's got to find a way to feed them and there's no food. And so God comes to him and it's easy to look at Egypt as the solution. Uh, God sent Abraham there. Abraham went, everything was good, came back very wealthy and all that. We see in the future, uh, Egypt is going to play a major role um, in helping develop Israel uh, with the food and all that. But here we see God saying, no, stay here, stay in the land. And I'm going to provide for you. That takes some faith. I mean, and it's not just, a, I mean, we, we often think of Isaac as just, you know, it's him, his wife, maybe the two kids, a couple of other people. But we got to remember, he's got all of the industry that is his family to take care of as well. So it's it, leadership. Uh, this comes to, to leadership. He is leading uh, this entire corporation, for lack of a better word, uh, by God. Um, I think that takes a lot. I mean, as we live our lives, we've got just our immediate families usually that we have to take care of. Maybe we've got extended family, a mother, father, or somebody. Um, but that's usually about it. Uh, unless you have a business. And then you've got a lead in your business. And that's, that's a trying thing. Uh, with it. And so we see here, Isaac has some beliefs. He makes courageous choices based on his morals that he has received from his father. Um, And he stays in the land. Uh, Not an easy choice. But that's not all there is to Isaac. Uh, Those are the positives. I mean, that's what we come to expect uh, from one of the patriarchs. But often overlooked are some of the unrighteous thing, the things that were not righteous that he does. As we see in Genesis chapter 27, uh, verses 1 to 4. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat it, so that my soul may bless you before I die. So what's going on here? 
He wants to hand over the blessing. Who's supposed to get the blessing? Well, that's the normal. The tradition says that it goes to the oldest son. Mm-hmm. So who is the blessing supposed to go to? Jacob, the younger son. Yeah, chapter 25, you go back two chapters, verses 22 and 23. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So this is God himself. She has gone to ask what's going to happen or what's going on. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This is a prophetic word. This is the word of God. This is, I mean, a command. This is the way it's going to be. And Isaac isn't following God's plan, is he? Do you think Isaac did? Oh, I'm sure Isaac knew. She wouldn't have gone and talked to the Lord uh, without telling him what the Lord said. Uh, this is, and she wouldn't have kept that from him in terms of this. Also, God talks about it with him when he, get, when he blesses him and transfers the blessing. Uh, there's going to be uh, God's chosen line. God's got a plan. God's working something out. But Isaac is a man, he enjoys his food, he enjoys his pleasures, and he wants to bless Esau, and we know what's going to transpire here, we won't look at it this week, we'll look at it next week with Jacob, who comes in and deceives him, um, which is interesting that it required deceit in order to get the blessing that was his by right. Um, because actually we, we didn't even look, we won't look at it this week, but we'll look at it next week. Esau sold the birthright to Jacob. So it wasn't Esau's to have anyway. He sold his right to his brother, but his father is uh, not following suit. So, uh, yeah, just, could this be a sign of unrighteousness that Isaac didn't want to believe the word of the Lord because he didn't, maybe there was a little bit of tension between a husband and wife conflict or I, I don't know what, what the cause is, but it's definitely unrighteousing because he's, it, it's a moral choice. He's made a choice, and it isn't the right choice. Um, it's relatively certain that he was aware that his yeah. wife had a word, and he... Yeah, there's a, because she's willing to... Because she's part of the plot to deceive him, she knew. He, she, I mean, her... She, she knew, had told him. He knew what was going on. And she's like, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, there, there's, yeah, which is part of this whole moral crisis here. We see that he follows God in one instance and not in the other. We're going to talk more about it as we get a little farther in. Isaac is, I, I like to consider, call him a, a second chair Christian, a second chair believer. And I'll, I'll explain that later. But for Isaac, it's a matter of convenience. I think Isaac is the average Christian sitting in our church on a Sunday morning. He does it when it's convenient. When it's good for him, he follows what the Lord wants. And when it's not, he, they do what they want to do. Uh, 
Um, and I'll, I'll explain that uh, in a minute. But let me move on to uh, another passage. Uh, Genesis 26, uh, verses 6 through 11. So Isaac settled in Greer. When the men of the palace, or the men of the place, asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Where we've seen this before, haven't we? Uh, for he feared to say my wife, thinking, least the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. He, he figured it out, um, that this wasn't his sister. Uh, we see here, same, this is the same issue. I'm sure he learned it from his father. I, Abraham did it twice. And here's Isaac, afraid for his life. Um, so it's convenient to make up the lie. See, these guys aren't perfect. We, we, we paint these pictures of these guys, and we put the halos on them, and we talk about how they're faithful and all that, but they're, they're human. They're like us. They make their mistakes. They do great acts of uh, belief or faith, and they have great acts of unbelief. Uh, finish it off. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. Uh, who knows what they were doing out there? I mean, it says they were laughing, but I'm sure they were, you know, frolicking in, in the field or whatever. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, least I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. There's something interesting going on here, isn't there? We think of these people as barbaric. They have huge harems of women and all that. But Abimelech's fear is that somebody would sleep with his wife. There was an, you might have more than one, but you would never take another man's wife. Uh, that was abhorrent to the ancient Middle Eastern mindset that once you were married, you were married to that person and nobody has any right to her. Whereas we here don't, don't think that way. Promiscuity uh, among husbands and wives is totally in the West considered acceptable. Um, they believed strong, so strongly in this that Abimelech's fear is that they would offend the gods. They didn't believe in the one true God, but their own gods would be appalled uh, if somebody accidentally you know, did that and they would be justly punished by the gods for it. Um, I, I think that's an interesting uh, thing to learn, that these guys are fearful that they would kill him and take his wife. That would be acceptable. Uh, but to just, you know, have casual sex as we do in our day, uh, that was, that's a, I mean, do you, you get that? I mean, that's abhorrent in their world. Our, our entire 
soap opera uh, belief system that we have in the West, uh, would, they, they would be appalled. They would think us barbaric. You ever considered that? No, they were fearing their... Abraham. They were just superstitious in general. Or yeah, the, 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 I mean, but that's how, that's how serious a crime it would be to sleep with another man's wife. Later, the, it, you know, there'd be cause to fear the God of Israel. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. Kids, like, yeah. Um, so do we even begin to understand the whole thing of husband, wife, that, that covenant? I mean, I think, we, I think we've lost some of that in our world today. Um, sure, you may kill another guy and take his wife or take his stuff. Uh, that was, that, I mean, that's acceptable by the rules of warfare, you know. Because let's face it, I, again, Isaac, is, it's not just a husband and wife wandering around in a tent. This isn't the 60s, um, uh, whatever you call them, the peace children wandering around. This is, the whole corporation, it's a whole clan. It's all those servants with them. So killing him wouldn't have been an easy, fat, easy thing. Um, but he's worried about it, that they would come and, and do him in, take his wife, and thus everything else he has. I mean, if you're taking the man's wife, you're going to take all his possessions and enslave all those. And there's a drought that brought him to this point. Yes, yes. And so he's, he's where God wants him. So it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about his faith, we talk about that, he stayed in a place that was in the middle of a drought and a famine because God said so. Okay, so he's there, but he doesn't have enough faith in God that's going to take care of him, so he lies about his wife, which he's in the place that God told him to be in. Yeah, you see? The, this, the, yeah, it's... God always has more of a ready. Well, and it's not supposed to be... It's not in our strength that we do these things. But it, it's... Um, it's a softness that we see in these men. It goes all the way back to Adam. Where was he when Eve was eating the fruit and talking to the snake? Right there. He was right there watching it. It's this whole, well, you know, I'm afraid. I don't want to. You tell, you, you do the lie. You're my sister. And, you know, it, it's, you, you eat the fruit. And if, you, if it's okay for you, I'll go ahead and eat it. We're supposed to be courageous in our leadership as men with strong convictions and moral character. And we see a lot of soft, there, there are moments of it that they're really strong and yes, I'm going to do what God says. And there are other times that, yeah, not so good. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's, it's difficult. All right, let's talk about how he was a steward. And this is where... Um, as we look at his stewardship, his stewarding, which we said was his initiating, his protecting, his providing, his contending. This is the area that Isaac really excels at. He worked hard at it. He is most known for digging wells. Now, we don't think much about it, but in an arid area as southern Israel is, water is life. Isaac had his faith. He believed in God. He did the prescribing. Abraham was known for building altars. Everywhere he went, he built an altar and sacrificed to God. 
His whole life revolved around what God wanted. He went to a land that he had no knowledge of, likely didn't speak the language because God said so. He sacrifices his son. He, everything he does revolves around serving God. He's all about following God. We come to Isaac, and he has a good working knowledge. We see that as we looked at his righteous thing. He knew who God was. He prayed to God, but we don't see the connection that Abraham did. I mean, God came, brought angels, told him about what he was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that, and what's Abraham want to do? He wants to save the people. What if there's 50 righteous? You know, and you go through this whole thing. But there was a relationship. We, we, we often say that Abraham was the friend of God. That there was a connection, a, a relationship with there. And it wasn't just God chasing after Abraham. God initiated the, the relationship. But Abraham also reciprocated. We don't see that reciprocal relationship with Isaac. Second generation business owner. Yeah, and... He knows who God is, and he, does, and he pays tribute and acknowledges him. And when life gets tough, he'll go and seek God out. But God isn't the everyday friend that he was for Abraham. That's why I call him... I don't know what you do, George. I know you're a school teacher, but I'm just saying, so just to clear, clear, make sure I protect myself, cover my butt. Some, some second-generation business owners take it for, you know, the same. Like, I, I've seen a lot that they don't appreciate. They don't understand what it actually costs to, to offer burnt sacrifices where like, you risk everything. everything. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's true. So we see, we're going to see here in a minute that his stewarding is great. And Isaac is going to increase the family fortune immensely. And God is going to bless him for it. But Isaac isn't going to be known for his following of God. He's going to be known for his digging of wells, his in increasing in stewardship and the like. Um, Genesis 26, 12 through 16. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's phenomenal even by today's standards when you're planting crops. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to him, oh, said, yeah, wow, said to Isaac, go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. Here's this nomadic guy living in this area. And he's become so wealthy. Can you imagine having a business so large that the other businesses are like, you're too big, go away. Go somewhere, take your business and go somewhere else. Because it's, again, this is not just a corporation in terms of that. He's got his own standing army. We saw that with Abraham, and I'm sure Isaac continued it. There are men of war. He's got his own craftsmen and all that, and they are concerned. And he becomes a mighty power, if you will, in the land, but he doesn't own the land. See, there's part of the problem. The land isn't his. It belongs to the Philistines. 
And so they're like, we're not, he probably paid lease. So they fill in the wells and tell him to go on about his business. And he goes, no, Abimelech owned the land. Isaac didn't. That's why Abimelech chases him away. It's our land. But God multiplied it and made him exceedingly wealthy. Can you imagine? His ability at stewardship, his business sense, his savvy was great. And um, as I said, well, I don't know that it was blind luck. They would go, uh, divine luck. Okay, yeah. Well, and, and that's it. Everywhere they went, he would send his guys out. Okay, they filled in our wells here. Go out there and dig. And they, there would be water. I mean, I don't know if you've ever dug for water in, in an arid place, but I mean, it's, they, they dig and they dig. I had a friend who was a, a missionary. He worked in um, the northern part of Africa, up by the Sahara. And they would drill for water and you drill and you drill and you drill and there's nothing here. And then you move over there and then you move over, you know, a couple hundred yards that way and this way. They should have kept going. They would have discovered oil. Too. <laughs> they wouldn't have known what to do with the oil, I don't think. But uh, yeah. But they, so everywhere he dug, he just, God blessed him and, and he had water. But again, it comes back to, he's this second generation believer. He's riding on his father's coattails. And doesn't make it his own, really. It's just kind of one of those. And I think, like I said, we, we've got a lot of people in our church and other churches. They're, they're riding on the coattails. It's not really their faith. And I think this is what happens um, as we have children and they go off on their own and they, they go to university or they go wherever. And they've never, ha- they've never made it their own. And this is where th- that's a choice they've got to make. Um, we can't make it for them as their parents um, or pastors or youth pastors. We, we can't, we, all we can do is, is show them and lead them. I mean, Isaac, if he was 37 years old, had the greatest example of God, you know, salvation that he wasn't, ex- that he did, wasn't sacrificed. I mean, he had that whole thing and he's kind of just okay with God. I mean, that's not there. You would think there would have been a deeper connection. But he, but there isn't, and it's sad. Um, it's sad in our world. I think it's sad that Isaac had faith. Uh, there's no doubt he had faith. He believed. He followed God. Um, but I don't think it was his first love. Not like it was for Abraham. Um, with it, and that's that's where I I, I get I, I have done a whole series on um, like I call them chairs. Where do you sit? Your first chair, second chair, third chair. Um, your first generation believer, you, you want to, you're excited. You want to serve God. You want to do things and, and all that. And, uh, we, we find those people at church all the time in every ministry they're, they're doing stuff and all that. And then we find the, the, the children of them. And it's like, well, your, your father used to do that. Well, you know, and they don't really own it. It doesn't become theirs. Um, at some point they got to make a choice. Next week, as we look at Jacob, we'll look at what a third chair or a third generation believer is. And I'm sure that in business, they're the third generation. They get knocked off. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. They, well, and I think that's what we're seeing in the United States. We've got all these trust fund kids and they don't know how to do anything with it. And it's, you know, but we'll talk about that next week as we look at Jacob. 
um, with it because there's interesting lessons. Oh, I know. Yeah. But it, I mean, they had so much money that it lasted like four generations. Yeah. Now they're down. You know, yeah. Well, you gotta. Yeah. There's there, there's things that, but it's not. I don't. I you can blame the parents to a certain extent, but at some point, they they've got to make they've got to make their choices. Isaac chose to. Believe, but just uh, it wasn't really his whole life. Let's look at uh, the whole idea of loving, the the idea of connection, the sacrificial care, um, sensitivity. That the idea of when we say when we're talking about loving, we're, we're talking about mercy and grace and that that interpersonal connection to people. Uh, we, we see the example here in Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. We, we, he's sensitive to her. She's, up on, you know, she's not happy about it. She doesn't have any children. I mean, that's rare. Uh, he's 60 years old. Um, he's pretty old, up there. I mean, Abraham was old too, but that's not usually how it works. Uh, you know, children usually come much sooner uh, than 60. <laughs> uh, Isaac, he cares. He's emotionally concerned for his wife. And um, we see that he, he does something about it. See, this is something he can't do. He can't fix this himself. So he goes to God and God hears his prayer and she conceives. The whole loving aspect, we, we, we see it with these gentlemen, um, mainly with their wives, but as we get farther into the Old Testament characters, we'll, we'll see uh, more of this as they deal with other people as they develop relationships with others. Really, these families in the early part here of Genesis, there really is no outside interaction. Um, we, we don't have any record of how they dealt with people from uh, the land. I mean, we, we know that there was a dealing with Abimelech, and they lied to him and uh, all that, but we, we don't see it as we get farther in particularly as we start dealing with characters like Moses and, and he's got a brother and, and all that. We'll see more of this here. We see, though, that he's also got some unloving qualities. Uh, Genesis 25, 27, and 28. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, I think most of us in here, if not all of us, have children. Um, <laughs> we've got favorites, but you can't ever play favorites. I mean, it creates all sorts of issues, and that's what we see going on here. Um, Isaac wasn't a big fan of Jacob's. I don't know why, beyond what it says, which was that he liked the food that uh, Esau made. Uh, 
I didn't put it in, but we know that uh, Esau is going to marry some Canaanite or Hittite gals, which apparently his parents hated. Uh, we don't know why they're Hittite women, but whatever it was that really bothered them, um, they were, I don't know, maybe loud and obnoxious. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't tell us, but he marries two of them. Um, and they're not pleased with it. And later on, uh, Esau marries a third woman um, that's of the line of Ishmael, one of his daughters, which uh, isn't a whole lot better. He thinks that'll get him in good graces with his parents. So let's compound the mistake. I married one. They didn't like her. So I married another one. Uh, but that's Esau. Well, but Jacob is going to do the same thing. When we get to Jacob. He does, but like, he doesn't start out. No, that was not Jacob's choice. He, he gets shafted. And he does the right thing. He takes care of all four of them uh, appropriately. And it wasn't, from what we can tell, we'll see. He's, we, no, he has four. Yeah, and they're two handmaidens which they become wives because they provide sons. They become the equivalent of wives uh, because they each have sons. Um, yeah, that, we'll, we'll deal with that next week. <laughs> he's, an interesting, he's an interesting guy, but yeah, we see that there's, uh, there's tension in this family. And um, uh, Isaac plays favorites and Rachel plays favorites and uh, it doesn't go over well. It's creates issues that are not just going to happen immediately. We know that uh, Esau and Jacob are going to not have, um, they're going to have a falling out over the whole blessing thing. Um, but it, I mean, I, I'm sure it goes all the way back. I mean, they're twins. They're fighting for the affection of the parents. Dad likes Esau. Mom likes Jacob. Uh, I'm sure there's, there, you know, th that was their whole lives. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they did. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were at each other. But it carries over as they both begin to develop nations. As their families grow, those nations are going to create all sorts of conflict with each other. Um, Esau becomes the Edomites. And we, we get all the way to where... Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, there's an Edomite that is causing them all sorts of problems. Yeah, they, uh, yeah exactly. So this is, uh, well, actually, um, if you go to the book of Esther, Haman, he's of that line. He's one of the families out of Edom, and he wants to wipe out the Israelites, the whole, the whole story of Esther. <laughs> huh? But, well, but he's not, he's not an Israelite. You know, so this, is, this fighting continues on, not just, I mean, as we get into nations and stuff. So understanding who these characters are, their flaws, their issues, we see that it, it continues, it perpetuates um, with it. All right. As we look at friending, the idea of loyalty, accountability, challenge, challenging, uh, fun, uh, you know, activities, that camaraderie, 
We don't see any with Isaac. I mean, we know of none, no friend that he had. It doesn't talk about him being friendly, having friends, and all that. Again, as we get farther in and we get more developed characters, uh, we'll see how they relate with other people. Um, because ultimately we get to Jesus and we look at it. Jesus' friendship with the 12 is phenomenal. Uh, the camaraderie, the fellowship that they share with each other, even with Judas. I mean, Jesus from day one knew that Judas was going to betray him. The night that they're there, they're sharing dinner, and he's like, shows that he knows he's gone to betray him, and he's like, hey, go and do it. Um, and he, he doesn't condemn I mean, just all that goes on with that, that friendship there, and the friendship that we're commanded to share in the church we don't see it developing here in the early patriarch stage, but it does develop as we go through. And the camaraderie, that, that loyalty that we are to have with each other, the, the accountability that we are to have with each other um, is commanded to us. The fact that God in the Godhead has that loyalty and camaraderie and the enjoyment of each other's company in a perfect trinity um, is given to us as humans. I mean, that is given as part of being created in the image of God. Uh, and we'll see it develop in other characters, but we don't see it here with Isaac. All right, roll it up. Uh, we see that Isaac was righteous. He had faith. He believed God, but he did not pursue it. He's a mediocre believer. Uh, he got what he wanted out of it, essentially. He wanted God's help. He wanted God's blessing. God blessed him and all that, but we don't see him pursuing the relationship with God. What we do see, that Isaac was a great steward and built wealth. That wealth is going to be needed and used by God in order to create a nation. So there will need to be a lot more of it. And he does a great job of that. His family was taken care of in great time of need, as well as not just his family, but his whole corporation, if you will. And lastly, we see that he, he was as loving as the next guy. I mean, if there's anything we can say about Isaac's uh, family life is, is that it's probably no better or no worse than anybody else's. He had his favorite child. Um, he loved his wife, but nothing that jumps out at us that we go, yes, he's a great example to follow, right? All right, so there's Isaac as we look at him with what we know. Um, one of the early patriarchs and often commended to us as a man of faith, but a man of limited vision, I guess. Comments, questions, ideas. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I don't know if it was Peter. Um, it might have been James, one of them. Why are we still so messed up? <laughs> yeah, I know. With all the examples that we've had, they, they've made all the mistakes, but we still make them, don't we? My thought is it's just, there's so many, I'm going to say, for lack of better words and then thought, gaps between the line 
from Abraham on down after after Jacob messed up. There's a lot of gaps going on before you get to Christ and everything like that. Why is if Isaac is just this mediocre guy, why wasn't he a gap? Why didn't we talk about Abraham, talk about Jacob, and just go oh yeah, by the way, his dad was Isaac? It's a good question. I mean, it just it just makes me wonder. I mean, there's gotta be a reason why um, because he's one of the top three. Because he is one of the first three. He's the second. So it, what it does is it shows us, and this is where theology comes into play. We're looking at the character of the individuals, but theologically, um, Isaac is incredibly important because we see what God started with Abraham and it passed to Isaac. And we get the covenant. There's the, the covenant with Isaac. And then that gets passed to Jacob. And Jacob becomes the father of the actual nation. I mean, right. and, and stuff. And so in those terms, uh, he's immensely important as he carries it from one to the next. He doesn't add anything to it. Right, he's, uh, kind of like, like, he's a filler. He said it really nicely the first one time. That he's riding on the coattails of his dad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He says, and the third generation almost realizes what he has and has to pick it up. And that's kind of what, he, what Jacob has done. Yeah. And he picked up the faith. Well, and it's... It seems, it seems. It, well, and it is. I mean... <sighs> I think that there's something else to consider, though. What's that? It's hard to walk in the shadows of someone... Like well, and that's true. Why even try? Well, and why not just do your job and do what's expected, mm-hmm. and not blow the inheritance? <laughs> like yeah, really, right. You know what I mean. But we're called to so much more, and that's. Uh, I think that's part of the lesson is is that we don't get sucked into did, did know? that. You know what I mean? like, did he know? I don't know. I. Oh, yeah, God spoke to him. God calls him and makes him the... I mean, he saw his experiences, but, like, like we all have an individual calling and election. Sure. And it's like, you know, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's like, we understand this in the New Testament, but, like, to them, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, how did God speak to him? You know, and it was new, and it's like, you know, so he, he knew about God, he had faith, and he did all that, you know, so, like, that's just my, that's that, as Ron was talking about, you know, there's, just like, there's something else here, because I'm thinking, because again, business. Yeah. Yeah. Why even try? We see this, we see this in a larger uh, contingent as we look at um, England. England in the 1800s was an incredibly God-fearing nation. And they sent. They were the big missionary sending country in the world. Um, Spurgeon and his preaching in the 1800s and all that. They had the corner market on religion, um, and they had a crisis of character with World War Two, or World War One, um, and uh, they didn't know. They couldn't deal with it. I mean, they solved their slavery issue before America did, uh, you know, and all that. 
but they didn't connect with it. And with the, with the crisis that came with World War I, we see the moral and social decline in England till now you look where they're at. I mean, we're a hundred years later um, and they, they know nothing. I mean, they're nearly as blind to the gospel as the darkest regions of uh, Africa ever was. I mean, they're, they're just not, they don't believe. They, they reject it out of hat um, with it. And I, we, if you look at America, we're doing the same thing. We picked that up after World War II. America began sending missionaries out, and there was a great awakening, and we began to fill the world with missions and Bibles and teachers and you look where we're at today in 2020. We are, we are on the same slope they are. We, we've, we've not kept it. We've not continued to make it our own. Africa. How many missionaries have been sent to Africa? Generation after generation after generation go. We send missionaries. The English sent missionaries. Why is Africa not a Christian nation yet? Um, because it doesn't become their own. There's a, there's a lack of connection where the first generation makes it their own. They, they hear it, they grasp it and all that, and the second generation, it, it begins to wane until we get to the third generation where they begin looking at it only for themselves in terms, and we're, we're seeing it right now uh, in, our, in our own culture as it doesn't matter. Nobody's interested in it. It won't be long before... Either we'll become like England, where nobody cares that, that there's any sense of moral value, uh, or they become opposed to it and becomes uh, like uh, Stalinist Russia, and we become the outcasts um, with it. Yeah, well, and that, that's true, but that's... <laughs> but the beast spewed Jonah out, and then Jonah went. <laughs> Mm. It's a whole different topic. Yep. All right, let me close this and we'll uh, be done for the evening. Lord, we thank you for men like Isaac who carried on the promise. And Lord, that they had enough faith to believe. And Lord, that you chose to use them, even in the mediocrity. Lord, you had a purpose and a plan for them. Lord, I pray that we would learn from Isaac, that we would be more robust in our faith, and that we would seek you, and that we would choose you uh, in our lives to make you our friend, to make you a part of it in its everyday events, and not just when we're desperate. In your name we pray. Amen.